let's go to Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 19. I'm excited to get into this passage. It's a, it's a fun passage to get into. This is Jesus. Jesus has been living his life. He's been going with disciples. He's been doing miracles. And, and now he's getting to the point that we know of as the Passion Week. Jesus is marching into Jerusalem. We saw that last week. Jesus is living the last few days of his life. And you remember we asked last week the question, what would you do if you just had a couple more days to live? What would you do? I heard some pretty neat stuff. You know, one of them, I think it was Jeremy or Jared, said that they would try to die prematurely. Like, they'd go do the most adventurous things ever, like skydive and all this crazy stuff. What would you do if you only had a few more days to live on this earth? And we're looking right now in Scripture how Jesus lived his last few days on earth. So as we get to Luke chapter 20, let's read the first 19 verses, and then we'll go through it. I think God has an incredible message for us this morning. So follow along, Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 19. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority do you do these things? Or what it is that, you, that, give you, that gives you this, this authority? Verse 3, he answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they do not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully. And sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Verse 13. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give those vineyards to others. Who they, who, what is it? What is it? What's that word right there? When? I stapled out on my paper. I couldn't read it. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Wow, regardless of whether I read that properly or not, this is, this is powerful stuff. And as we look through this, I want to ask you a question right at the very beginning. And the question is about authority. Authority, especially in these first eight verses. This week, I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in, in Houston in, in my life. And our family, we lived in Houston, the Woodlands area, just north of, of Houston. And this week, if you've been following the news... Um, one the mayor subpoenaed uh, some messages from pastors in the area and said, we're going to look through these. 
And one of my good friends uh, from a church down there, Ecclesia, Robbie C., um, responded to the mayor. And, and the response, you can read it online. But the question is this. As church, as God's people, what is the authority we follow? In your life, what is the authority? Is, is it the mayor of the city? Is it the president of the United States? Is it the coach in our sports team? Like, what's the authority in our life? What guides our life? What drives our life? In Houston, in a very real sense right now, churches are even forced to ask this question. What's the authority in our lives? And as church, what's the authority? We look here in, in these first, what, eight verses, the teachers, they're asking this. If you look in verse 1, um, look, look who's there. The chief priests and the scribes with the elders. Well, up until this time, where is Jesus and the disciples? Where have they been? They, they haven't been in Jerusalem, have they? They've been in the outskirts. They've been out. They've been away. But now look what happens as they're coming into Jerusalem here. They are with the official leadership of Israel, the Sanhedrin. They're with the rulers. They're with the top dogs. And so now what Jesus says, everything is coming to a point where he's standing with the the authority figures. He's standing with the church. He's standing with Israel. And they're asking him these questions and they're coming after him. And they're saying, by what authority do you speak these things? And Jesus is saying the same thing that he's always said. Nothing has changed. He's saying the same thing over and over and over again. And he's saying, I have the authority. Think way back to the beginning of his ministry. And, you know, the time when he's walking by a boat, by a sea. And he says, hey, you, one person, come follow me. We're going to do some amazing things. We're going to see some incredible things. We're going to make disciples, and, and we're going to catch fish of men. And I mean, think back to that, that one conversation. Now it's progressed, and now there's thousands of people coming, and he's standing with the rulers of the day, and they're trying to put blame on him, and they're trying to catch him, and they're saying, by what authority do you say these things? Well, what things? If you look in verse 2, tell us by what authority You do these things. Well, what things are they trying to catch him? What's he been teaching? He's teaching that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. That's pretty big authority. He's saying that I have the authority to heal on Sabbath. That's a no-no. You don't do that during that time. Heal on the Sabbath. Jesus is, is reminding him. He's, he's reinventing the way that they, they think about their faith and who they are. And they're saying, Jesus, we're the top dogs. Like, we're the authority. So what gives you the right to say these things? That you can heal on the Sabbath and that you can forgive sins. What gives you the right to declare people to follow after you? And who is it that gave you this authority? Church, who's the authority in your life? Who do you follow? Or what do you follow? A lot of us in this place will say, Jesus, I believe you're the authority of my life. But, whenever we start thinking those buts, but, how dare you tell me how to treat my body? How dare you tell me, instruct me, how to spend my money. 
How, how dare you, Jesus, because I earned that money, right? That job, I worked hard for that. How dare you, Jesus, speak into my marriage and say that divorce is wrong? How dare you tell me how to direct my life, Jesus? Like, I believe you. You're my authority. I follow you. I, I, I go to church because I'm just that good. Like, I even go to house church. I, I read the Bible, but how dare you cross that line? And really speak into my life. And the Pharisees, the teacher of the laws, they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, how dare you say and by what authority do you say that you can do these things? That you can heal? How dare you say it's about you? And so he had crossed that line, that line that they said you couldn't cross this line because then you're bigger and more powerful than us. And church, we do the same thing, don't we? Like we say, God, you're the cornerstone. It's about you, and it's about you, and I will serve you, and I will go all the way. But how dare you, and by what authority do you speak into my life in this realm? The realm that maybe you're struggling with or wrestling with right now. Maybe the realm that God is just impressing on your heart. Church, what realms of our life have we not given God the authority to speak in, to heal, to deal with? You can have all of me except. What is that? Maybe God in this place brought you here today just for that one question. Like what areas of your life are you holding back from God? You can have all my life except this, this, this thing right here. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 is such a powerful passage to speak into this moment right here. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is about Jesus. Are we looking to Jesus as the founder and the perfecter of our faith? Are we saying, God, you have authority in all of my life, and I look to you to speak, to fulfill, to direct, to guide, to be. So as these guys are, are speaking, they're saying, by what authority? He answered them in verse 4. Says, he says, okay, I will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, which is a short way of saying from God, they, they know that. If we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all... Notice that all the people will stone us to death. Well, this is, a, this is a hyperbole, okay? And the hyperbole is a deliberate exaggeration. Not all the people are going to go stone him to death. But even in that stuff, it's getting beyond what they can even think. They're starting to create excuses. They're starting to go here. All the people will stone him to death for they are convinced that John was a prophet. John was the forerunner, if, if, if you know which John we're speaking about here. John was the forerunner of Jesus, the cousin of Jesus, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. He told the people the Messiah was coming, and he bowed down to Jesus. He acknowledged him as his Savior. 
in our lives, we have a lot of questions about who Jesus is, don't we? We have a lot of questions about who Jesus is, and sometimes we just don't have all the answers. We even ask Jesus the question sometimes, you tell me the answer to this, then I'm all yours. I will follow you if you answer this one thing or you do this one thing. Our pride puts Jesus on the podium. John the Baptist comes and he's running before Jesus. He's telling people about Jesus that he's coming. And this whole time he doesn't have all the answers. But when Jesus shows up, he says it's about you and it's for you. And he speaks into everyone. Church, what authority guides your life? Is it God? Is it his scripture? And as he goes and he begins to answer this thing, he says, I'm the ultimate authority. And if you're not getting it, I'm going to tell you a little parable. I'm going to give you a little parable. And he goes into these verses, verses 9 through 18. Well, as we read it and we look at verses 9 through 12, they're talking about the servants, right? In verse 10, when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants that they would give him some fruit in the vineyard, but the the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant. They also beat him and treat him shamefully, sent him away empty-handed. Yet he sent a third. They also did the same thing for him. The vineyard in this parable symbolizes God's gift, Israel as the people. Like God chose Israel as a people to protect them, to guide them. And God was patient. He loved Israel. He was persevering. He wanted his love to be shown. And so he sent prophet after prophet after prophet to show him and to teach him and to guide him. And he rescued him. And and he continued to rescue him from many, many things. But the people of Israel just continued to go their own way and to live separate from God. So as we look at this parable, we can think back of some of the the prophets that, that God sent along the way. Servants is what this parable is talking about with these prophets. Old time prophets who were sawed in two. They had their skin ripped off and dipped in boiling salt water. They were stoned. Like this is how the prophets of God were treated. Jeremiah in 9.1. Jeremiah 9.1. We see Jeremiah weeping and crying. Saying the people are not listening. So in this parable, as we look at this parable, what's happening? Jesus is saying, Israel, my chosen people, it's you. Like, I love you. I'm chasing after you. And I'm going to send people, prophets, multiple, multiple throughout time to just show you and to speak to you and to give you love and to give you direction. But over and over again, what are you doing to them? Beating them, killing them, not listening to them. But my love, I want you to experience my love. So what am I going to do? We get down to verse 14. Well, 13. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. Would this generation treat Jesus any better than their ancestors had treated the prophets? In verse 14. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir, let's kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard. I want to pause right there for this second. They threw him out of the vineyard. Why did they throw him out of the vineyard? Well, if you're Jewish, if you're very, very religious, then you knew that you wouldn't touch a dead body. It would make you unclean. Right? You're just, you're above that. It would make you unclean. That's why they stoned 
because you're at least an arm's distance away. We're not touching you. And here in this parable, why did they take him out of the vineyard? Why did they take him out of Jerusalem? Why did they take him out of here? Here later on, we're going to see Jesus is taking out of Jerusalem to Golgotha to die. Why are they doing this? Because blood in the vineyard. If there was blood in the vineyard, that means they couldn't sell the fruit. They they may even have to sell the vineyard. Like there would be blood there. A Jewish person could not touch a dead body. That's why Jesus was taking from Jerusalem to Golgotha to die on the cross because they didn't want to spill blood on the holy ground. They're so religious that they're missing the relationship with Jesus Christ and they're trying to follow all their laws, even don't touch a dead body. They're trying to follow everything to this and they're missing Jesus that is standing right in front of them. So in verse 14, let's kill him. Verse 15, they threw him out of the vineyard. They killed him. What should the owner do? Verse 16, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. Surely not. God, I'll never. Surely not. Surely not, God. Not for this Jewish people. Don't take your love and give it to the Gentiles. Not for the people that that are not your chosen people. Like, surely not. Like, you're going to open this love up to everyone in the entire world? God, are you seriously going to do this to every man, woman, and child? Surely not. We are the religious people. We are the heirs. And Jesus is looking and saying, I've sent my son for you and for everyone. You've killed the prophets. You're about to kill Jesus, my son. And I've opened this love up to everyone. Church, what do we say in our life when God gives us a, a commandment or, or something to follow? We read in, our, in, in the word or his spirit is speaking to us and, and prompting us. Do we say, God, you're our authority? Yes, God, I will follow you. I hear you. Your spirit is speaking to me. Thank you, God, for directing me and guiding me. Do we, open, do we open-handedly receive these words that God's speaking to us? Or do we say, God, surely not. Not that. You wouldn't ask me to do that. You wouldn't move in that way. Well, guess what? God is bigger than all of our imaginations. God can do things, and he's done things in my life that blows me away. I'm like, God, oh, you were working wow, do we limit God? Do we think we know better than God? Surely not, God. You won't move in that way. You won't do that thing. I won't commit this big sin. God is saying, I am the authority. And that's what this entire passage is about. Who and what is guiding your life? If it's anything other than God, Jesus, the man of Jesus, then we've put it in the wrong spot. And if we put it in the wrong spot, then we get to verse 17 and 18. Look what happens. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become this cornerstone. This is a reference to Psalms 118, 22. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. He is the cornerstone on which the entire weight of the church rests. Think about this. The cornerstone, if you're a builder, what's the cornerstone? It's, it's important. 
You have to have a strong stone in the corner because why? It's carrying the weight of the walls. Like it is so important. And he is saying in this parable, he is the cornerstone on which the entire weight of the church rests. Israel's corrupt religious leaders and religion will be destroyed. Can you see this? He's speaking. He's saying, you, Israel, your corrupt religious leaders and your religion will be destroyed. And in 70 AD, I will destroy this city. We will watch this city destroyed. When we reject Jesus, one day he will stand before the Father and he will say, you rejected me. You, re- you rejected my son, the son that I sent to you. I was patient. I ran after you, Israel. I ran after you, my chosen people, but you continued to reject me over and over and over again. Away from me. Church, do you understand and can you grasp this section of the gospel story? Because the gospel story is creation. God created The fall. Man, we chose to go our own way. Humanity. And the redemption, God buying back, continually showing his love for us throughout all of time he's been doing this so that we can represent him, we can be him wherever we go. But do you grasp this part of the gospel story? This is the ugly part, the part that people don't talk about is our sins took him to the cross separated us from the love of God. Our sins took him out of the city to be crucified. I repent of my sins. I killed you. I repent. Forgive me for my sin. I follow you. Jesus, this is about you. If it's ever become about me, I give it back to you. I repent of this. I'm so sorry. You are the cornerstone. It's about you. It's from you. And I get to walk in this love story of love and acceptance, repentance. I've been redeemed. Church, this is why we sing. God is a powerful God and an ultimate loving God. And that's why he asked for full obedience. That's why he asked for us to be fully in and to be in this thing with passion and love and to be diligent in this thing. This is why we have house churches so we can encourage each other, so we can learn, so we can look at each other, so we can begin to even have house churches go out and serve in other areas like the Guadalupe shelter, the different ministries. Like we represent Jesus. Do you know that? Everywhere that we go, we represent Jesus. At the park when we're playing spike ball. Go ahead and laugh. It's fun. It's enjoyable. It's a silly sport. But a few people got excited about it. Now there's more people getting excited about it. And we'll be out there playing this silly sport. And there'll be people walking by seeing a a group of people laughing and playing a silly sport. And they'll say, why are they so happy? And we're representing Jesus even as we're playing spike ball. Like, do we get it, church, everywhere that we go? How many of you go to the same place with someone in this room throughout the entire week? 
No, it doesn't happen. We all go a thousand different directions and we represent God everywhere that we go. What a joy that the hospital gets represented, that Jesus is in the hospital. What a joy, what an honor it is to take God to the campuses of of UNC. What a joy that God is going everywhere where we go this week. We represent God and he is the cornerstone of this entire thing. Thank you, God, because I'm weak and I can't do it. Our sins took him to the cross. He loves us so much. He died. He sent his son for us. And he said, okay, now you'll get this. That's how much I love you. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22 is how we're going to wrap up today. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22. We asked, who is the authority in your life, church? Who is this from? Who is this about? So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole scripture, being joined together, grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God is in us. Amen? And wherever we go, it's about him and for him. He is our authority in this life. Church, in this place, as we move into worship, that's why we're worshiping him. That's why we get together. To say, God, it's about you, it's for you, it's from you. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. That should put a smile on your face, church. So when we do the things we do as church project, when we gather on Sunday morning, we get to share secrets of who God is. We get to raise our hands and praise. We get to take communion. We get to laugh. We get to be as church. When we go to house churches, we get to wrestle through scripture together. We get to talk. We get to get our hands dirty. When we go to Haiti, when we do all the things that we do, we don't do things for not. We do things to be who God has created us to be, church. I'm going to ask us to move into a time of, of worship right now. This is, this is going to look different for all of us, and it should. But in this time of worship, if you would, just, just close your Bible and ask God in this place to reveal himself to you in a powerful way. If it helps, just close your eyes and and put your hands out in front of you just in a submissive stance and just say, God, I receive anything that you want to show me today. It's hard to receive stuff, church, if our hands are closed like a fist. Just say, God, with my heart, with my mind, with my life, I receive you today. Everything that you want to show me, everything that you want to teach me. God, please speak to me.